Today's Bible reading is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, which can be found in on page 1664 in the Pew Bibles. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Lord, to, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Well, morning, everyone. It is wonderful to be with you as we gather as God's people. And can I just say thank you uh, for continuing to partner with the university ministry. Uh, thanks for those who pray. Thanks for those who give generously. Please come speak to me afterwards if you'd like to know more about it. Well, I don't know if you've heard, but apparently the Penrith Panthers won the grand final again this year. <laughs> Whether you're a massive NRL fan or, or can't stand the sport or anywhere in between, uh, you'd probably have to have been hiding under a rock, wouldn't you, to not know that. Uh, in my part of Penrith, uh, there are houses with balloons and streamers and flags. Uh, some even have these big, giant cardboard faces of the players in their windows. Uh, people are walking around town with jerseys and, and all my friends on social media are posting about it everywhere. Yet, 10 years ago, when Penrith came 15th, I didn't hear too many people talking about them. Indeed, back then, I only knew a handful of Penrith supporters who proudly waved the flag. It's almost like these other supporters are only excited, only bold in their support when their team is great, when their team is winning, when they have a team worth celebrating. Now, the reason I point this out isn't merely because I'm a jealous Bulldog supporter whose team has been coming last the past few years, uh, that, that's part of it, uh, but more, uh, it captures something quite relevant for following and sharing Jesus. It's a, it's a very basic and obvious idea, 
that the more we're excited about something, the more we see the greatness of something, well, the more boldly we'll associate with it and be more excited to share it with others. Often when I uh, preach at different churches, I'll be asked to talk about mission or evangelism uh, to motivate congregations with uh, the urgency of the gospel, uh, to give people confidence in sharing the gospel, maybe even train people in how to share the gospel. And those are all good and necessary things. But what we need most is to be excited about Jesus. The more we uh, appreciate Jesus, how great he is, how great the salvation that we have in him is, well, the more we'll want to stick with him and the more we'll boldly and proudly want to share him with others. And that's really a lot of what uh, Ephesians is all about. Uh, Paul is writing from prison. He's suffering for sharing Jesus in a culture that rejects and hates Christianity. And he wants to make sure the Ephesians uh, not only stand firm as Christians, uh, but partner with him in spreading the gospel. And the way he does this is by helping them see how great the gospel truly is. Uh, we see it drive his prayers throughout this letter. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 18, he prays uh, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Uh, or in chapter 3, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Basically, I pray uh, that you would truly know how great God's love for us in Christ is, how great we have it in Jesus, how great our hope is. And as we turn to our uh, reading this morning, uh, Paul tries to show us this greatness by listing some of the blessings we have in Christ. Uh, he begins in verse 3 with a sort of summary statement. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's a pretty catch-all blanket statement to begin. Uh, if you are in Christ, if you trust Jesus, God has blessed you. And not just blessed you with a few blessings or, or even a lot of blessings, but with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. If there's a spiritual blessing to be found, you have it in Jesus. When it comes to spiritual blessings, eternal blessings, uh, blessings that last forever, uh, things to do with our relationship with God, our eternal hope, our spiritual life, uh, there is nothing lacking in what God gives us in Christ. You won't find someone else that can offer something better. Uh, you don't need to add something else to supplement something that he might be lacking. Jesus provides it all, and you won't find it anywhere else but him. And the rest of verses 3 to 14, our, our reading, it's just one big long sentence in Greek where Paul just keeps rattling out all the blessings we have in Christ. You have this and you have this. And did I mention this? And don't forget about this. And oh yeah, there's this as well. Now, we don't have time to look at them all in detail this morning. You could spend a whole term here. Uh, we'll just focus on a few. Uh, and I'm going to group them together under three main headings. In Christ, we have been 
chosen for adoption by the Father, redeemed and forgiven by the Son, sealed and secured by the Spirit. So let's look at the first one, chosen for adoption by the Father from verses 4 to 6. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he pretested us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So the first remarkable blessing that Paul mentions here is that if you are in Christ, it's because God chose you. Twice he mentions it here in verse 4, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. And verse 5, in love, he predestined us. Both those phrases are getting at the same idea, that before time began, before God created the world, before we'd done anything, God said, mine. I want him. I want her. Uh, This one is going to be one of my people. I'm destining them to follow Christ. And it's not because of anything we contributed. It was, cre- it was before the creation of the world, so we hadn't yet done anything to contribute. In fact, in a moment, we're going to see that one of the blessings we receive is forgiveness, uh, which shows not only didn't we deserve to be chosen, our contribution was rebellion, disobedience. The thing that we had earned was judgment. Now, God didn't choose us because of who we are, but because of who he is. We see it throughout these verses. In verse 4, it's in love he predestined us. Or the end of verse 5, in accordance with his pleasure and will. God chose us because he is a God of love who took pleasure in making us his. Or or verse 6 says it was by God's grace, meaning his generosity. He gave it to us freely as a gift, uh, a grace, it's the opposite of merit, it's the opposite of earning something, deserving something. It's the difference between a wage and a gift. You know, if uh, you do a job and at the end of the week uh, your boss pays you, that's not grace. You don't thank him for his generosity. You, you earned it, you deserve it. Uh, a present, though, is something you haven't earned, something you weren't owed. And that's how. God does it. Out of his grace, out of generosity, he chooses us to be his. And these verses uh, note two things God has predestined, chosen us for. First, verse 4, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Despite our sin, God still loves us, still wants a relationship with us. And so before creation itself decided to fix the sin that stood in the way. He decided to provide a way that we could stand before him perfectly. But it's more than just that. Because as verse 5 goes on, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Here we see how ridiculous God's generosity truly is. For uh, not only through Jesus are we able uh, to be right with God, we're adopted into the family. It'd be like if you were, I don't know, in medieval England or something and had committed treason against the king and were facing execution. Now, if the king pardoned you, you'd be thrilled. Uh, what luck? Unlikely, but it might happen. 
But what would never happen is the king saying, not only do I forgive you, I'm going to adopt you. That's, that's ridiculous. And yet that's exactly what God does. I don't know about you, but being made holy in God's sight would have been enough. I deserve judgment. I would have been more than happy to be a forgiven servant. I'd take being a slave in the kingdom of heaven over any position in hell. But God doesn't stop at just forgiving us. He takes us into his very family. We get to approach the God of the universe as our father with a level of intimacy and safety that only children know. We can cry out to him at any time, knowing he listens and cares. That's the relationship we have with God in Christ. Indeed, it goes beyond that. You might have been wondering why this passage says adoption to sonship seems a little sexist. Why not change it to sons and daughters or, or simply children? Uh, some translations actually do that uh, uh, with the correct intention that this does apply uh, to males and females. But this actually misses the meaning in two ways. Because first, in the ancient world, only sons got the right of an inheritance. And so rather than being sexist, this passage is saying all believers have the full rights of the heir, of inheritance. There are no lesser children in God's family. But even more importantly, the idea is that actually our adoption is sharing in Jesus' sonship. Because we're united to him, we're in him, All that is ours becomes his, our sin becomes his, and he dies on the cross for it, and all that is his becomes ours, including his position as son. Uh, Tim Chester put it this way. He says, if you're trusting Jesus today, then you could not be more loved by the Father than you are right now. You're as loved as Jesus and as secure as Jesus Through the Holy Spirit, you have the same intimate relationship with God the Father that Jesus himself had for all eternity. Now, that's the first lot of blessings chosen for adoption. Uh, The second revolve around how God has redeemed and forgiven us in Jesus. Let's read uh, from verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Uh, We won't spend as much time here because really, uh, this is the fulfillment of God's plan to make us holy and blameless in his sight. Uh, Paul first mentions here uh, that in Jesus we have redemption. Now, the term redemption, it sounds pretty jargony, pretty religious, but actually, uh, in the ancient world, it's a very normal world. It's a word from the, the marketplace, particularly the slave market, Uh, You see, uh, back then, they didn't have bankruptcy laws. Uh, If you owed a large amount of money, you couldn't just declare bankruptcy and and get out of your debt. You had to pay them no matter what. Uh, And the way you do that is by literally selling yourself or or maybe your family into slavery. I I owe you $100,000 and can't pay? Well, I guess I'm your slave now until it's paid off. And the only way to become free was if you or someone else saved up enough to buy your freedom. And the word for that was redemption or or ransom, the price paid for your freedom. And the Bible teaches that we are all enslaved to something we cannot pay for. 
We're enslaved to sin, to death, to judgment, something we can't save ourselves from, something we need another to pay for. And that's what Jesus does here. He pays the ransom, but it's, it's not a few thousand dollars or even a few hundred thousand dollars. This verse says it's by his blood, that is, his death. The price to free us was his death in our place. Our rebellion meant we deserved punishment, but Jesus takes our place, pays the penalty for us, takes the judgment we deserve. And so we owe no debt to God. Death has no claim over us. There's no judgment we need face. On the contrary, verse 7 says, we have the forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus died for our sins, all the things we've ever done wrong, past, present, future, they're forgiven. When the record of a Christian's life is opened, there is no record of wrongdoing on any page because Jesus has paid for it all. The one trusting in Jesus can know with absolute certainty that when we stand before God, we will be accepted. And again, note here, Paul uh, repeats that it's all out of God's grace. He says the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Paul keeps re-emphasizing this, that our forgiveness has nothing to do with us. It's all God's generosity. Finally, uh, in the last few verses, uh, Paul talks about how uh, God's Holy Spirit now dwells with us, guaranteeing our salvation. From verse 11, uh, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Paul starts here by again repeating that God chose us, he predestined us, how salvation is our salvation is God's plan. But he adds that this plan, our eternal future, it's a hundred percent secure because the God who planned this out. Uh, works out everything in conformity to his will. These school holidays, uh, we were meant to take our eldest daughter to the Powerhouse Museum. Uh, in fact, we, we were going to go either yesterday or, or Friday. Uh, we'd planned ahead. We were really excited. And yet, it never happens. Uh, I've spent most of the last few weeks sick, and so as a family, we fell behind on a heap of things we just had to do. You know, family visits got rescheduled the last couple of days. Uh, sermon prep got rescheduled the last couple of days. It, it just couldn't happen. Now, she'll be fine. We'll, we'll go later this month. Um, but the reason we didn't make it wasn't a lack of love or a lack of planning. No, despite our good intentions and planning, we didn't make it because, well, I'm not in control of everything. But it's not like that with God. It's not like he had this great plan for us. I'm going to adopt them as my children, save them for eternity, and then boom, something happens and God's like, whoops, didn't see that happening. <laughs> oh, well, better luck next time. No, God is in control of all things and is controlling all things to achieve his plan. There's nothing in this life that we'll face that will stop God from bringing us home because he's using everything to bring us home. And indeed, Paul adds uh, that God's spirit has been given to us to guarantee this salvation beyond doubt. From verse 13, And you also, 
were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This passage teaches that if you are a Christian, God's spirit now dwells within you. This happens from the moment you believe. It's part of what a Christian is. Uh, the Spirit lives in us, changing us from the inside out uh, to love God and trust Him and love others and, and put to death sin. And here particularly, two different words are used to describe another role of the Spirit in our lives. He's a seal and a deposit. Uh, the, the language of seal here refers to a mark of ownership how you might brand cattle or carve your initials in, in your ruler at school. It's a mark that says, this belongs to me. And the Spirit is God's way of marking us, of saying, this is mine. This one belongs to me. He's my treasure. She is my beloved. And in this sense, then, the Spirit is therefore acting as a promise a guarantee that God will protect us, bring us home. The same idea is meant with the deposit language. This is the language of, of, a, of a down payment or a pledge, like paying a deposit at the shops. Uh, if someone were to come along and say, I'll have that, it's as if God has said, no, they're mine. I've put the deposit down already and I'm coming back to get them. And from the moment we've been sealed, from the moment we believe, that our salvation then is guaranteed. Full stop, game over. It's a done deal. And these are just some of the blessings we have in Christ. Chosen to be adopted into God's family. Made holy in his sight. Forgiven all our sins. Sealed by the Spirit, ensuring that God will bring us home. And so as we wrap up, if, if you're here this morning and aren't yet trusting in Jesus, if you aren't a Christian, this is what God offers you in Christ. It would be God's pleasure and delight to welcome you into his family. He longs to lavish his grace, his blessings on you. Please don't miss it. And for those of us who are trusting in Jesus, I hope we'll get excited about the salvation we have in him, that we will truly know how great God's love for us is so that we will not just stick with Jesus, but do so boldly, proudly, uh, like, a, like a Panthers supporter, so excited about their team that they talk about them wherever they go. I pray that we will be so excited about Jesus that we want to share uh, him with whoever we can. Uh, we've got to pray like Paul that we will uh, fully appreciate all that we have in Christ. And with that in mind, let, let me pray. Father, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus, that in him we have every spiritual blessing. Thank you that you chose us when we didn't deserve it. Thank you that you made us holy in your sight and forgave us our sins. Thank you that you've adopted us into your family and we can call you Father. And thank you that we've been sealed by the Spirit, guaranteeing that you will bring us home. Father, we pray that we would uh, be excited, overflowing with thankfulness uh, at this great love 
and that that will mean that this will mean that we uh, boldly, proudly stick with Jesus and uh, are excited to share him with others. And we pray it all in his name. Amen.